0: This is our final, yay, uh, celebration for 15 years of this podcast. And who better than to bring back my friend, Pam Slim, who's been on the show several times and back in the early days. And I'm so excited because not only is she coming back, but we're talking about relationships and building sustainable and trustworthy relationships and who better to do it with than Pam, who's an author, a community builder, a consultant, a business coach, in her latest book is coming out called The Widest Net. One of the things, and we'll dive into it in the show, is Pam is as authentic as you will hear her be, as you will see her if you ever get the chance to meet her out in the world. This is who she is, and I love her book because it's about building relationships. And in this world that we are living in, we all want connections and real connections and not transactional. So we're going to talk about relationship building and I'll circle back with you. Pam Slim, hello and welcome back. It is so good to be back. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited because I can't wait for my audience to hear what you have to share with us. And not only are we going to talk about relationship building, but like you live what you give, right? Like what you're teaching, what you're coaching on and you being here. I mean, I think your first year on the show was in 2009 or so. Like you've been on the show. We're in the 15th year of the show. And it's the, the synchronicity of you coming back at this time. We're going to talk about your book and talk about relationship building. And I get to do it in the month of our 15th year anniversary. So thank you.
1: I love that. And can I just say, it's so trippy because this year I turned 55. I've been in business for 25 years. So I celebrated my 25 year anniversary and we have our five year anniversary of opening up our main street learning lab here. So the fact that you have a 15, a denomination of <laughs> five feels very cosmic. And i like, I'm in exactly the right place where I'm meant to be.
0: Yay. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So I want to talk about relationship building and who better to do that with than with you. And as I was thinking about you this morning for this interview, the thing I've always appreciated about you is you get the seat at the cool kids table, right? Like, you know, a lot of the, we we would call a listers and stuff. (laughs) Yes. And you never forget where like your people, right. Mm -hmm. Or even just reaching back out to me and saying, Hey, Corinne, you know, can we do an interview together? Right? Like I so appreciate that because you and I've seen in, in our industry of how people, as they get more success, they leave behind that those that they started out with. So one is like, my heart is so open for you because of that. And then also like what you're doing with your learning center. Can you just give our listeners information about that? Because I think that is so critical with who you are and your values.
1: Well, it it's interesting cause I especially the older that I get, I just start to notice things about myself in terms of where my heart is and who my people are and what I'd like to do. And I, I've very firmly determined. I'd love to be just in the world and connecting with everybody where they are. I don't like exclusive VIP situations. I don't like to dress up and be in a big fancy ball gown situation where I'm at an event. I am interested in interesting people. And so it is sometimes where there are really interesting people who happen to have lots of visibility or those folks that I might hang out with that is helpful for people who are interested in, you know, the same work that I am. But I appreciate that, you know, you, you make note of it. I just, I just really notice the thing that's the most engaging for me is, is really being in community with people that come from all walks of life, all kinds of different experiences, and having that thread and connection over time is one that I find really deepens. So that kind of mission is one that's very alive where we are here at the, Keh Main Street Learning Lab. Keh is a Navajo word that my husband, as we as we opened this space and we were thinking about it, the physical building has a specific meaning. Keh is a Navajo word, Dine word is the language that means system of kinship. And it's a very sacred word within my husband's culture. When Navajos first meet each other, they'll introduce themselves by their four clans, two maternal and two paternal clans. And when they figure out specifically how it is that they are connected, that feeling of connection is what is ke. So, you know, I always think about it in really deeply understanding this absolutely tens of thousands of years roots of where the clans you know come together and then also knowing moving forward how it is that you can walk with this person through life and so you might know that this person is my grandfather by clan or this is my auntie and so i feel like as humans we deeply long to have that kind of feeling and in some cases we can feel it within our own family clans our own bloodline You and I know plenty of folks who sometimes don't feel that for a whole variety of different reasons. Sometimes family trauma, historic trauma, all kinds of things can happen. And I think that's often why people are looking for places in which they can feel deeply seen and heard, in which we can really look for places to engage that feeling is really central to things that we're doing here because we're we're literally right in the middle of Main Street. And really the main purpose, kind of the origin of the story is in recognizing that there was so low visibility of Native American entrepreneurs and leaders. Even though we knew there were many thousands of them in the state of Arizona with 22 federally recognized tribes, you rarely saw people Featured on stages, you know, talking about business topics. You didn't really see people working on projects, consulting projects, for example. And here in downtown Mesa, we're undergoing a massive transformation with $1.2 billion worth of investment that's coming downtown the next couple of years. We have buildings going up. We have ASU building a building, housing, all kinds of investment. And we really wanted to make sure. That for indigenous, but also black, Latinx, Asian, other folks who might be historically marginalized, that they had a space. A home base, a connection, a presence on Main Street. And then we also want to make sure through those connections that they were able to access opportunities for opening businesses, for, you know, having events that reflect the community in which we live. So it really is a, it's a great joy and a great gift to have this place where we get to just meet all kinds of different people and really learn from folks about what are they looking for? How can we really support each other to grow in business?
0: Again, I, I just love that of how you're taking these skill sets that you've had and you've been all over the country, right? Working with people, working with big businesses, working with big names, and then being able to bring those skill sets back home to you in working mm-hmm. with your community and your people and helping them rise up. And I have, I have this t-shirt on and I actually wore it for you today because it says empowered women, empower women. Right. And and that's what I think of you is that you know you are authentically yourself knowing how you want to show up in your world mm. and and be comfortable in that and like <laughs> this morning I thought I like the fact that I get to wear t-shirts that have sayings on it that I like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when I go to work <laughs> that's important to me
1: it is and and it it's not always the case where you, where you're doing work where you have to be places where everybody not, might not agree with you yeah it's part of really mm. making very deliberate choices about where and how you show up and i think you know, it's interesting for me after spending 10 years primarily before we opened the brick and mortar space of really doing community building online, which is amazing. I mean, I still Mm -hmm. find it a absolute miracle. <laughs> I will meet clients. I'm coaching clients all over the world. Some find me through SEO, right? They might be Googling a certain term and they mm-hmm. arrive at my website and they hire me. To this day, I consider that to be magic. And it's so <laughs> meaningful to know that I work with people all over the world virtually. Like it's It's real. They're real mm-hmm. connections mm-hmm. and connections we have in social media. I will tell you, There is such a deep joy at also doing work in our local you know, space. I was just walking downtown with my daughter last night. I had, is a typical downtown Mesa day where I did like internet, LinkedIn Live with Dory Clark. And then I went over <laughs> to the cafe across the street where I'm faculty for the Mesa Arts Center leadership program. And then somehow randomly I was like chosen to do this improv show where I had to go on stage at our local community comedy theater and improv place and, you know, tell stories that they then built, you know, improv comedies around. Kind of just a typical day, right? Here, here in downtown Mesa. But it was so fun because I was walking down the street strolling with my daughter who's 14. And it was so neat because she was like, Mom, you know, it's so cool. I love being in a place, first of all, where I'm just really noticing things grow here in Mesa. And there's like the shops are looking good and things are really cool. And she said, it's also really fun being places where people know you. And she goes, and then they know me
0: because they know (laughs) me
1: through you. And I said, yeah, you know, I've really always tried to maintain a discernment, and I don't like to show my kids in a position of vulnerability, of fear, uh, you know, ask them about posting I'm really thoughtful about the stories that we share. But both my kids happen to be more introvert identified. And so I said, you know, I hope that's okay. I said, a lot of people really do know you (laughs) because of the stories I've shared. But she goes, I don't mind that. Like, I know you're sharing it in a good way. Mm -hmm. It kind of feels good that, people know who I am, you know, like walking down the street. So, you know, that's a very different kind of experience where this is our home. This is the place in which she goes every day and she can see how we're all contributing to making it a better place to be.
0: I love that integration. And, and some people like to have work very separate, right? They they totally. might have liked your previous life of where you traveled a lot, right? Where you were, it was a very separate thing. So I know, and what we're saying here is it's not about doing it Pam's way or my way. It's figure out what's what are the ingredients for you.
1: Exactly right. That's so important that each person is going to have a very specific, discerning way in which they they live their life. I think it really depends on who your family is, what your relationships are, right? We're really talk about a lot of things within my family. And also it's never a static thing. And so at different phases of our own lives and for us as individual people, you know, our kids, my husband, and then for my husband and for me, at different stages of our life, we can be drawn to do different kinds of work. And I think when I, I, before I moved to Arizona about 18 years ago, I was from the San Francisco Bay Area. And before I met my husband, I spent 11 years as the volunteer executive director for a Capoeira group, an Afro-Brazilian Capoeira group. So my life, so much of my life was spent in community i knew every single cafe bus stop in the whole entire city of san francisco because i put up flyers everywhere for like a decade and so i had that deep experience of connection and i think after that for you know myriad of reasons when i sort of left that world i for a long time i was just not at all ready to be involved in a local level i think because mm-hmm. i had much poorer boundaries earlier in my life mm-hmm. about just the amount of energy that i put into it but coming back to it has been so nourishing. It's like remembering all of a sudden this deep love and joy. And it's just been really a wonderful experience.
0: Something you said that I think is key. Now you have the ability to have the boundaries that you didn't know to have back then. And that's also partly why.
1: For sure. Thank God for lots of (laughs) coaching and smart friends and (laughs) a husband that won't let you, you know, get away with really, I don't mean get away. He doesn't, we don't have yeah. power over each other. We remind each other daily about like healthy ways to practice, you know, being in the world.
0: Well, and that's exactly it. It's a practice, right? Because it boundaries, what happens is that we tend to take over responsibility for something, or can, we can justify like, oh, but this is really important. So I need to sacrifice this or that. And then all of a sudden we, we've gone down the slippery path of, where we're so busy taking care of the organization or the people that we are deliberately chose to raise and to be a part of and to be in relationship with, right, our families.
1: It's so true. And just a very specific application of that, when we think about it in the context of building relationships, but also being really deliberate in mission, in the work that we've done here at the Learning Lab by day, we always say probably the easiest way to describe it is by day, it's my office, so my husband's mm-hmm. office. He's a traditional healer, it's really the work he's doing at this phase of his life. And I'm a business coach. So during the day, you know, it's our office space. We do have some other organizations that might use meeting space when we're here. But generally, in the evenings and the weekends is where it is available for community partners. We have what we call the key guardians, people that are from the community, almost all folks of color, who run programs for their own communities, each of whom have their own key. And really, the model we have here is people really are that guardian of the space, They take care of it, but I'm not having to hover, like arrive here at six in the morning for an early morning podcaster client call and then stay all the way till 10 at night. That would be completely untenable. And... It's a very specific dynamic if I'm also hanging around, especially in my identity as a white woman, where sometimes we have very deliberate experiences where it might be a native-only group you know, that's meeting for a specific reason around safety and identity, and I'm hanging around sort of like looking at my watch trying to lock up. So it's just interesting to me how decisions that you can make about having a healthy boundary can also very positively impact having really healthy relationships with folks when you are doing things in community. Because some people are like, gosh, you must be just constantly working or just, you know, doing so busy with all these programs. And I'm like, they are running their programs. Our key guardians, they they do their thing and they add, you know, beautiful energy and spice into the space. <laughs> but I am not always there.
0: I don't know, if Pam, if you've heard this quote from Princess Hemphill, hopefully I said the last name correctly. Boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously.
1: What a beautiful definition.
0: In the example that you gave, right? Like you're loving yourself, right? And you're also loving them because you're giving them that space, right? Where they can have the space to have vulnerability in their own connection without you out there hovering, right? And these these are the contextual layers that we often don't see. Right. It's because people may not understand that.
1: Exactly right. And I think especially in our experience of doing more intersectional community building where you look at this specific blend with all kinds of different reasons about why sometimes it's really important for groups to come together, as I said, with a unique identity focus only. Mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with having a positive relationship with people from other backgrounds and being in deep friendship and loving each other there's a specific dynamic that is often very powerful and important where you can be in a space where you're not having to have some kind of awareness and attention to somebody who you know might be of a different identity there are then very specific reasons often to have experiences where we have a broad intersectional connection where folks can come from all kinds of different backgrounds. And I just find in particular in my socialization as a white woman, there can be a lot of feeling if you're not aware of that and really what are the components that are important that folks can get their feelings hurt, you know, and feel like, God, what's wrong with me? Or I thought I was really good friends with people and, you know, or, you know, this is my space. What do you mean I can't be here? But it Is really important to know. It is just about creating the very best container in order for people Mm. to do the work required on their own terms in ways that feel free and safe and liberatory. And so, you know, it's really good learning. I feel like many times, and just, you know, deep diving a little bit into, you know, inclusive practices. That come from my own background can have that worry of like, oh my gosh, the deeper I go in and doing that work, you know, I'm going to be, you know, judged or criticized, or it's going to be harder. I actually find the opposite. Like the more that I know, the more I can just lean into listening and figuring out what is a practice. I screw up every day, but I like I can learn. Like, oh, I just did this earlier today. I was on a call and I used the you know ableist language. I was like, that's so crazy, and I just stopped myself. I said, I just use you know. Non-inclusive language, really sorry about that, and then we jump back into Mm -hmm. the conversation. But the more that I know and the more I can be respectful of those different practices and building relationships, Mm -hmm. actually, the more connected that I feel, and Mm -hmm. I'm not always walking around on pins and needles as my kids will always remind me, Mom, you're going to be awkward and say something. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, you will do that, and so just embrace it, deal with it, and move on.
0: Oh, yes. Our children are wonderful, right? Because they, they know all of us.
1: <laughs> oh, they see everything and they're not afraid to share their specific opinion about who we are.
0: <laughs> it's good for us, though. It's really good for us.
1: It is good. I appreciate it. <laughs> Most days.
0: So let's talk about because, you know, the idea of this building, that was a great, you know, example. Oh, I want, do you want to go back to your office space because an example of an inappropriate boundary would sound like is if you allowed people to meet at your office during the daytime, right, where then you would have to be quiet or couldn't carry on or they would have to be quiet, right? Because that's not what the space was for during the daylight hours. It's it's for your office and your husband's office.
1: It's probably the easiest way we begin to understand it. And there's a whole story that I tell in the book of really what was a very powerful series of years of exploration where people immediately, as soon as we open this space, were looking for us to define specifically what we were. Are you an incubator space? Are you a, you know, do you have specific programs for entrepreneurs? And I just kept saying, nope, nope, we're not that. Nope, we're not that. And they're like, well, what are you? And I was like, I don't know. We're right now just need to be connecting with a community and figure out what it is that people need. And Listen to what they need and try lots of different things, and then we will figure out what the space wants to be and what we want to be. It's a gift of freedom. We we fund the space totally on our own. We've done that primarily for, for five years. We don't charge anything for folks who are using it by just by design to just keep things really simple. Part of that experience was, I think, finally, when I began to recognize it, because people, I I found myself apologizing and falling over myself for not always being open during the daylight business hours because I was coaching. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I was like, why am I apologizing for working and making money? Because... The main things we do are in the evenings and the weekends. That's when people need and want to use the space. So I'm not going to apologize that that was an easy way to determine. Like by day were this and the evenings and the weekends were that. As we get into now more nuance of working with partners and our work is just deepening in really beautiful ways of of very, very proactively working with a lot of community partners to support inclusive economic development downtown There are some cases where we can have that discernment with each other. So like next week, my partners that are from RAIL, which is a nonprofit organization that does amazing inclusive neighborhood economic development work, they said, you know, can we use the space from 11 to 1.30? And I said, okay, I have a podcast interview from 11 to 12. So are you going to be loud? And they're like, no, we can just be quiet. We just will do kind of a working session. And so that's an example of a nuance there where it's not that I never want anybody in the space. If I'm coaching people and I have earphones on, I, I have a little kind of <laughs> cubicle, ironically, having written Escape from <laughs> Cubicle Nation, I have a little little protector I can put around me so sound doesn't travel and they can be in that space. So we, we work it out where I have these longer term relationships with organizations. But just in general for the public, it can be so much easier to understand that like, oh, okay, this is a space where stuff happens for in the evenings and the weekends for community stuff. And it's just so funny because it took us probably four years in order to come up with that simple answer.
0: So I appreciate that honesty and candidness because I think so often we think of like, oh, we should, if we're going to do good work, we're going to immediately know what the right answer is for us, right? Or we're going to really have this plan. And here you are willing to be uncertain, right? There's that vulnerability of not knowing and going, we're going to figure this out and giving yourself that space of four years because most people want that quick fix, that quick transformation, that quick answer. Don't you find that?
1: I find that very much. And and I find there's a really specific connection because most of the work we do is around inclusive community building and equity work that that is a very white folk focused <laughs> kind of business perspective that it's it's more transactional it doesn't really make sense in many cases to some of my colleagues and people that I might notice that come in where they're like well what do you mean you're just like investing time and money when you don't really know what this is and I can I you know I can know on my side as a longtime community builder you don't begin to build true trusting relationships, especially for people that have been historically marginalized and have have huge traumatic experiences, right? In my case, with like me as a white woman. There are many cases in which there have been places where people have not feel welcome. You know, They've been kind of used as a token You know, within a program. So I might open up this space and have a program and invite everybody in, take a bunch of pictures, feature everybody on my website or in the shiny brochure, but then over time, not really be actually centering their experience or it's all for show, right? It's a way I can show that I'm a quote, inclusive community builder, but it's really like on paper only. And actually, the work it takes to be building relationships with folks takes a long time. It takes experience. It takes, you know, having for us that hands-off approach where, you know, we say, here's the key. You utilize the space in the way that feels free and useful to you. And that has been massively Transformational. Like, that's the part that I feel like I have huge benefit in the work that I do and the understanding of the work that I do, because my lens of my field of work is around the world of business and building relationships in the context of getting new customers and, right, building audiences and all that. It's so important to understand some of these elements of where so many people go wrong, where companies go wrong, where they say, oh, we need to hire more black software engineers. So let's just, you know corner one of our black employees and take their picture and, you know, put it on our website and attract people without realizing that they really need to be going out and going places already where you might have that community that's organizing those events. And maybe you support those events, you know, for a long time, really get to know people and begin to build the trust. So it's just, there's so many powerful lessons that absolutely have benefited the work that I've done and my insight into models like I, you know, wrote about in the book And that's been a really beautiful blessing. And it I think part of it's also just the joy of getting older, where I think maybe earlier in my life, I would have been more impacted of thinking, God, maybe I'm not really that cool, zippy startup person. I should have like a venture fund and create some, you know, zippy sounding incubator program. And everything in my being, as we have this space up and running was like, nope, that is not the right approach at all. The approach is just to meet people, greet them very warmly, which is a really important part of how we roll around here. As soon as anybody walks in the door, we want to greet them fully, introduce ourselves, you know, tell them about the space, sit down and really hear about who they are. And these kinds of elements just have led to such beautiful transformations. And, you know, a few things lately that I'm just so proud to have played a a very small part of. I I really want to underline that. It's not just being humble, but it's just there's a specific kind of role that we played in some cases of having a space that that could be holding space for people to work on things before they grow into their next phase. But just during the week, interestingly, around Indigenous Peoples Day, there was a a few groups. One were uh, some Indigenous consultants that did their podcast out of here called res Response, all about kind of res life and and revitalizing the indigenous perspective is the phrase they use in their consulting company. And this is for Melody Lewis and Melody, her partner Turquoise Devereaux were the ones that did that podcast along with another partner whose name I forget right now. Sorry about that. But now Melody and Unique Yazi, who's a Navajo creative, they just opened the very first space that's 100% native owned and led. That's an art tech space and right in the middle of Roosevelt Row in downtown Phoenix. And they opened their space, you know, and it was, you know, Melody was saying like, during that time we were incubating ideas and, you know, we got inspired by part of what we saw here. And it was like part of what helped shape that vision for opening their own space. The same week, Jared Yazzie, who runs OXDX Clothing, which is a Navajo-owned fashion brand, they opened their brick-and-mortar store in Tempe, Arizona. And I have d- did a lot of work with them, you know, over the years. So it's just, I always want to underline, <laughs> it's not like it was because of me specifically, but it's really looking at this model of what is it like to have a free you figure it out and you define what you need kind of a space that does provide that context of like, this is a space to dream. This is a space to design. That holding place is a very important part of what allows people then to go off and have their own spaces. So I'm just so excited by that. And to me, it's a signal that like something is really working with this model.
0: This, when you were talking, I think about your other book, the body of work, right? Like this is your body of work. It's all the work that you've done throughout your career coming together, right? And it goes back to like, and I don't even like it because it sounds so cheesy as I say this, but as you're talking about your ingredients of who you are, but it's your personal brand, right? And one of the things that I think about for you is, you know, anywhere I go and if Pam Slim's name comes up, it's about community building relationships, right? You are an excellent business coach. You really understand business and you also have that human touch. So it's not just about the, the, how to make the money, but it's about what are you building? And, and I think it's like all those ingredients of why you're able to have a career for 25 years, like the sustainability.
1: I think so too. My, my friend, Colleen Wainwright, she said, I like her definition of personal brand. She said, it's just you amplified,
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: You know, yes, we know we use these terms which there we've all seen a very manufactured type of personal brand where I'm like, what how do I want to position myself? Mm -hmm. It's really different than looking at the core ingredients of who you are and just really being clear about communicating in such a way in which people can see it. You know, for sure this book in particular, all three now I see really in a trilogy, essentially. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize till I wrote them. But, you know, escape help people get out of corporate, just to financially sustainable place as a starting place. Body of work is that refinement of what it is that you're actually building in what I call a love letter to creation. Just, you know, that our work is really the thing that we're getting out in the world. And when you know what that is, you need to have an audience for it. But the way to build that connection and audience to me, it comes from my my life's work. My degree in college was community building. And it was actually looking at using non-formal education as a tool of social and economic change. Oh, Like exactly what I'm doing right now. (laughs) When the hell does that happen, right? For our college degree? Never. But apparently it does now for me.
0: So with the relationship, like I've been at events with you where, you know, there's always a line of people that want to come and see you, right? And I have also been in events with people and you've probably seen this too, where as soon as a person reaches a certain status, they want to be in those VIP circles. They don't want to be kind of on that ground floor and Mm -hmm. you're always so generous and kind and and kind may not be that you spend hours with them because you're not going to have that capacity at an event, Mm -hmm. but you know, you have that point of connection with people. And, and again, this goes back to what I said earlier. This isn't, you know, you know how to do relationships. And I think like in this book, The Whitest Net is so valuable because we've gotten into so much transaction in business. It's how much money yeah. do you make? What is your funnel? What's your conversion? It's all numbers, 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 mm-hmm. forgetting about the people.
1: I totally agree. I think transactional culture is really harmful where we're only looking to a relationship based on what we can get from the other person and not really looking at how are we in relationship with each other to work together to be solving a particular problem, just like we were talking about a little bit earlier in the conversation that not everybody has the same kind of goals for personal and professional separation. Some people, in a very healthy way, choose not to be sharing about their family, right? Or don't, you know, take their family on the road with them or other things that you and I might do. But I think in in the same way, I am a raging extrovert. I get very energized by being around people. I am really interested and fascinated by people. So that's the way that I'm wired. I know for a lot of my more introverted compatriots, you know, that like it would be extremely draining to be spending like lots and lots of time talking to people. So part of me honoring who I am is that it feels good to be connected with people. But when I think about it, it's funny because we can always look at When you think about certain philosophical or values-based components to who it is that we are as people and how we use that as building blocks to how we build our business, how ironic would it be for a person who's writing a book about the widest net and connecting with each other and sharing that I would create a structure in my business where I would be drawn to having different levels of where, like, I have a VIP level. I've seen this sometimes at coaching events where people literally are roped off from talking to each other. I might say, you know, if you sign up for my program, then you can come to this special event. And the rest of you folks, you know, that maybe feel a bit, you know, downtrodden and aren't feeling good and are worried about your finances, you're just gonna like go off to your hotel room by yourself and eat dinner. Like that is a hundred percent opposed to the kind of feeling of connection that I want to create. I I want to always look for ways to really create a healthy connection with people. And the balance, as, as you, you know, all of us find when we're doing that is maintaining that Beautiful definition of boundaries that you shared with me, doing that in such a way that is respecting you know the energetic boundaries so that I don't find myself completely drained or you know spending all the time just connecting with people and then going home exhausted or being on the road all the time and not spending time with my family. So I, I think there are ways that you can demonstrate healthy ways to maybe be in conversation with people and say, I have, you know, 30 minutes where I really just want to open conversation and connect, and then I'm going to go off and I'm going to go back and be with my family or I might, you know, it's okay if I don't take 50 people to dinner with me, right? It doesn't mean that you can't ever do things in other groups, but just think for a second about how we do create sometimes with the structures of our business, this sense that if you're able to pay the big dollars that it means that you have some special access to this person. It's worth exploring to see if there's some unhealthy components to that, that actually disconnect people and make people feel, you know, alone and, and sometimes shame.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Brene's work and in, in shame and this needing to belong in connection, right? And as you mm-hmm. were talking about earlier, I mean, we, we want places of belonging. It's a marketing strategy, having VIP, right? Like it's, oh, here you go. You can buy this and have this access and it ignites that fear of missing out the whole FOMO. Mm -hmm. But does it really breed genuine connection and belonging? That's my question.
1: Yeah. And a lot of it, I think, is just in the clarity of communication. And, you know, sometimes I just saw John Legend, which was wonderful in concert here <laughs> in Phoenix. Those people who know me know I love John Legend have forever in an appropriate way. We're both very mm-hmm. happily married. Not, not like that. I love his music. I love, love his work, especially his social justice, you know, activist work. But. I did, for my 55th birthday, invest in a super expensive like meet-and-greet VIP ticket Mm -hmm. because it was so wonderful to have the experience of having a smaller group of people where we could really just He was on stage, he was interviewed with people, and I was sitting really close up front. I have never in my life ever Mm -hmm. been in a concert where I was really close up front. And -hmm. it was just a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. And that was something I know that I invested in. It was my birthday present to myself. Actually, it was like one of the things I got for myself for writing the book because it was so so hard (laughs) psychologically and emotionally to write the book. I gave myself a little reward for it. But where it's not done in a way of, you know, if he had showed up on stage and only sang to those of us in the front three rows that were VIP and ignored everybody else in the stadium, that would have really sucked. But when he came, it would, we were all connected, feeling this kind of unified thing. And so it's not always that a particular structure is wrong. I think a lot about it is, how are we using psychological manipulation, like Mm. intentionally to make people feel like, Oh, I'm not cool. If I don't belong to that group, or there's some missing ingredient, that's the secret Mm -hmm. to me having a successful business. If I don't go to that dinner or something, that's just, that's just not true.
0: Mm -hmm. It's just not true. I'm so glad that you went. And I thought about this when I was, you were talking about John legend legend in your book. And I thought, that is so vulnerable, right? Because I've known for years how love John Legend, and you've clearly defined, right? And you have this <laughs> this idea of and you're going to interweave him in in talks and writings, you're going to just keep interweaving him and you're like 899. And when you get to 1000, maybe the stars will cross, right? And you'll meet him in person. And I noticed like this voice in my head going, Oh, that's really vulnerable to tell people what I want or what I like, or that I hope this dream comes true, right? It's mm. a, And it's a dream like your life is going to be just fine if you never meet him, but it would be a really cool thing to meet him like you really respect his body of work, the stuff that he does, his music, right? How cool is that? And when we're kids, we have those kinds of dreams. Yes. Right. But then as we grow up, we become socialized and we don't put ourselves out there. But here you are putting it out there in the book, in the podcast, right in your talks. People know that's part of your personal brand, <laughs> you and John Lennon. When I saw when I saw your post on social media, I was like, of course she did that. And I was so excited for you because I knew how important that was for you, right? Like an important in a fun way. It wasn't like yes. a worthy way, but it was something that was delightful. And especially as you talk about going through the painstake of writing this book.
1: It's so true. And it, it's just funny because, you know, through the years, that really has been something that I've noticed has been a fun shift because it's just sort of a comedy of errors in which I've been so close sometimes of actually meeting him. We both spoke at an event, and I knew the event. Planner. She was his security detail. And so she said, We we were set to have a meeting. We had a meeting time and place. And I had just written Body of Work. He was actually the lead story in one of the chapters in Body of Work. And so I was excited. I had, you know, special gifts made by native artists, you know, from Arizona. So it was a whole thing I had in my mind of meeting him. It turned out his schedule changed. And so I didn't meet him. But, you know, I gave my book. She promised she would get it in his hands. But I never knew, right? There was like another time I was coming, flying back from Nashville speaking (laughs) and I sat next to this woman and we were chatting she was a makeup artist and we were having a great conversation she's like yeah you know I said so who's your audience like who do you do makeup for and she's like well generally you know musicians and I was like you didn't do it for John Legend, did you? And she was like, oh, my God, I just did his makeup last week. Do you want to see pictures? And she took out her phone. It's like this comedy of errors. If it was some kind of movie, right, it would be like all of these near misses. And this time in the VIP, I was able to take a picture. We were with that like clear boundary in between us where I did get a picture. So I like I looked at him. We were face to face, but with a COVID safe, clear boundary between us. But I couldn't bring the book. I brought the book again with a note to him, but I couldn't hand it. And the whole way now, what's so fun to me is like, First of all, he probably thinks I'm a really weird creeper, so sorry, John, if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> interview. But it's just so fun; like it's more stacking the odds in that favor. And what was so neat about it, too, this time in particular, is I noticed, and this is actually relevant for thinking about community and you know, audience. One of the things I really found that draws me to his work, I do love his music, but I love the way he stands up as a musician and is very active in the community around specific issues, around education, around the school. To- Pipeline around you know a lot of very specific social issues, Black Lives Matter. But when I was in the audience, I was looking around and I was like, it's a totally diverse audience. There were people from different ages. They were so fun to hang out with. The kind of music that he was sharing was really a lot about love and connection. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm seeing more and more. It's not only him that I'm drawn to in terms of his music and his body of work, but the kind of audience that he draws around him. So it's one of the principles within the widest net is where you go to, I call them watering holes. Mm-hmm. So in person or online, where great numbers of people who might share certain values, you know, are gathered together. It could be an example of like, yeah, I can go to a John Legend concert and probably I'm going to meet a bunch of cool folks who probably share some of the similar values as I do, right? They love music, but they're also probably a little bit more socially inclined than, you know, some other musician that doesn't have that particular focus. So it's just, you know, interesting to me to notice these kinds of things, And thank you for letting me talk extensively about John Legend, because sooner or later, SEO is going to lead him to my website.
0: (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Well, it goes back to, again, like, you know, him being able to be authentically a musician that aligns with him and doing work that matters to him. Just like how you are a coach and an author and a writer and a speaker, and you get to do the work that aligns with you, right? Instead of being who the world told us we were supposed to be and how right. we were supposed to show up in our business. And and that's where it sounds like there's so much trust building that happens within your communities because they see you and you're consistent and it's consistent over time. Like as you sat around and looked in in the audience, it was like, oh, it's a very inclusive environment here.
1: That's right. And it, it's where when we center our work, when you look at the thing that I think does end up creating a very natural momentum and like a ripple effect as to how your work can get out in the world. You can begin to really build these connections with people. I just was having a conversation this week with Dory Clark, uh, who wrote a great book called The Long Game. feels like my favorite cousin book to the widest net. (laughs) I told her because she really makes the case in that book that we do not account for how long it might take to be reaching some of our longer goals and just the the wisdom of having patience of you know breaking things down. She has talked about being vulnerable, she's super vulnerable in the book, talking about goals she's had, many of which she hasn't reached yet, but in that kind of connection and really talking about you know what it takes to build relationships, we tend to think about our profile, getting known in our business, is about just people really looking to us as being the expert. The whole way that I look at it is it's our work. It's our body of work that we want to be made visible. And yes, we are the stewards. We are often the shepherd that is bringing our work to the right places. Would you and I love to be on Brene Brown's podcast? Probably, right? I know you've had Brene on your show, right? You know, it's amazing. She has one of the top podcasts in the world. Would I love to be there? Yes. But it's really because when you think about, when I'm thinking realistically about my own body of work, are the ideas, concepts, frameworks, tools that I'm talking about something that's going to be deeply relevant to her body of work and the kinds of things that she's sharing. And so the choice that we have of of choosing, like, who would be wonderful partners, the latest metaphor I've been using is the Justice League, because I love, I just, I love movies, I love superheroes, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, I love it all. If you were to imagine that you had, you know, 30 minutes to save the earth, but with your work, like to solve the problem that your work is here to solve, who would be that Justice League that you assemble? who would just be the very best people you know that each have these very specific superpowers to solve the problem you want to solve. That essentially, that Justice League is this ecosystem That is surrounding your ideal customers. So that's the work that we do strategically when we're looking to, you know, where the places where we should be showing up in person and online for our work to be known? It really is because these people are the very best at what they do. I'll argue that not everybody necessarily, as those superhero Justice League people, have huge visibility. There could be somebody who's completely unknown and is not famous, but has very specific, unique powers. And when you put the focus on the work itself, what does your body of work do in the world? How is it contributing something specific and helpful? Then it can take a lot of that ego thing of like, why doesn't John want to see me? Or like, why does somebody else get to meet John and not me? Or, you know, whatever it is. Why did that author get on Brene's podcast and not mine? It's the wrong focus. It's not about who we are as individuals. It's about us making the case for why our body of work is something that's essential to one of those ecosystem partners.
0: So you brought up something that's really important. And as we close here, I want to circle back to it because I think it's really important because yes, Brene's been on the show, but in her podcast, right, is is huge. It's, it's totally taken off as a rocket ship. And so many people can say, but... I'm not going to be famous. I'm not, you know, or I, I don't have a podcast or I haven't written books. So how can I really make a difference? And I want to address that because we have listeners here who are making a difference, who could be that rocket fuel, right, in their own communities. And I want them to know that they matter too. And what they're doing is important. So what's your message to them?
1: Everybody starts that way. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, that's the way everybody who has any kind of visibility Everybody starts with without being known. And it's focusing on the work that you're doing, focusing on the way that you might be making a unique contribution, thinking about ways in which you can show up that'll be helpful, thinking about ways that you can put yourself in conversations where you really are providing something that's a valuable and unique perspective. It's vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. It's very vulnerable to do that. I call it being the weirdo in the room. Like it's weird and it feels awkward sometimes to insert yourself in conversations where you know that there are some other players where, you know, you could, you could be providing value, but it's really in, in service to the work. And there absolutely can be cases of privilege and very specifically from kind of an inclusion lens that we've talked about before for me as a white woman to have access. To you know, have my post go viral, or for me to be chosen to be you know a guest, there definitely can be privilege based on my identity of how somebody would say yes to me quicker than they might say to a native woman or a black woman or right somebody else. But the general work is really the same. I know when I started Escape from Cubicle Nation sixteen years ago, I had had a management consulting business working for larger companies in Silicon Valley. I specifically it wasn't appropriate or ethical. For me to be trying to pull those employees, like who I've been trying, paid handsomely to retain in companies, to pull them out. So I really did start with a complete blank slate in terms of the new audience that I was reaching. The method that I used to grow the Escape from Cubicle Nation audience was really, without knowing it, what now I call the widest net method. You know, it was really identifying who were some of these other players who had valuable information. And I know my thing I used to say all the time to my clients, like, thank God for my early clients. I so appreciate them just trusting me because there was so much more that I didn't know than I knew about entrepreneurship at that point. But I would say, you know what? I don't know, but I'll find out. Mm -hmm. And, And finding out is where I would look for some of those Justice League superheroes. Like who's the smartest person around pricing for your services, you know, who's the best web designer? Who is some expert that I could point you to? And that's that's really how I began to build my my network.
0: And that ability to have that growth mindset and that ability to not have that answer right away has been key to your sustainability and your success in your career.
1: I get myself in trouble when I try to position myself as the all-knowing expert. <laughs> like I'm I'm super happy to share things that I've had lots of experience with, but when I keep that that growth mindset of just you know I don't know everything my my friend Bob Sutton that teaches at Stanford calls it strong opinions weakly held, ah. so if I'm having you know right like this really strong opinion, but somebody's like, Well, hey, did you think about that? I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. I really need to revise my thinking that keeps me in a in a position of really feeling free, freedom and justice, freedom, justice, and love are my top three values. So as long as I'm spinning around those areas in general, I'm 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 a pretty happy person.
0: Pam, thank you so much for coming. I'm so excited for my listeners to read The Whitest Net. It's fantastic. It's so authentically you. And there's good practical steps in there as well. And I love this idea that get out of the transaction and build the relationships without attachment. And you even talk about, Sometimes things don't come out the way you would like them to.
1: Very frequently. And that's part of why we have a sense of humor and how <laughs> part of how we just have to be like, well, that did not work, you know, or wow, I thought that person was this way and apparently not, but just letting it go, you know, really having each day a fresh day. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy to be able to share it with you. I appreciate you so much and just appreciate getting to reach new listeners. I know in these last 15 years, I'm sure you've really grown your audience in a substantial way. So it's really great to meet folks that way.
0: Well, thank you, Pam. So I love that, you know, she gave you guys real life examples of the body of work that she has created over her 25 years as an entrepreneur. And then how that was actually incorporated back in college and also, you know, from her early days of her career. So My invitation for you is to take these insights, these nuggets, and then apply it into your own life. One of the things that I want to state is, you may be sitting there going, well, that's great, you know, Pam, Corinne, you guys are talking about Brene, but can I really be an impact person? And you may never want to get famous. You may never want to be on a podcast or write a book or anything But you may be that person that builds that community that is that connective tissue. And my invitation to you is to remember the work that you're doing does matter. You may be that connecting piece and that helps move a mission, a process. And my invitation is to continue to own that and to not in the terms of being You know, where it's fulfilling your ego. But I love how Pam said, you know, we're the shepherds of our work. And it's not about us, but it's about what's the work that we can put out into the world to help solve. And that part becomes really important because it's so easy to get into this compare and despair where we say, well, I'm not that. So it's not even possible. Or what I do doesn't make a difference. And here's an example I was talking to a swimming parent that I know, and her daughter swims with my daughter in college. But her kids grew up in youth swimming and club swimming and they're nonprofit organizations who rely heavily on parent volunteers. And she did a lot. You know, she worked hospitality, she made sure that there were snacks provided, right? She timed, she was this workhorse for this team. She eventually was president of of this team and and now she gets to enjoy I call some of the fruits of her labor, where she gets to be a spectator as she watches her daughter swim in the last few years of her career. And I thanked her and it wasn't, she was not a parent of the aqua monsters, but I know how important it is for parents like that who come in and who support organizations because they do this work and they show up and they become this, this glue, this connection that allows organizations to flourish, that allows the mission of serving athletes to really grow. And so that's what Pam's talking about earlier of, you know, we all start somewhere and maybe you're going to grow. And like Pam started out with the blog, Escape from Cubicle Nation. And she even had like an early stage podcast. And then she wound up having a book from it, right? As she first started out and she grew from there and is very widely known as been a successful author and a coach and built this business. But you may never get on those public platforms. And that does not mean that your work doesn't matter. I just want to get that out to you all. As you go about thinking about how do you build your relationships? What are the connections? Some years ago, before COVID, I was thinking about like I have all these rich friendships, and sometimes they're across the country, which is great for when we meet up throughout the, you know, at places. And Pam's one of those people. And I get into so into the weeds in my day to day life of raising my family, working with my clients, or running the Aqua Monsters that having those vibrant, rich conversations that I have a lot on the road wasn't happening. And so before COVID, I had this dinner where I sent out this invitation to these women. And I I called it the Amazing Women Dinner, I think. And there are women in my community. Some I had known, like some one woman, her son and my daughter went to kindergarten with. And so I'd known her for, you know, a couple of decades. And some I had, you know, only had a few conversations with or you know, our paths had crossed, but we weren't really connected. And it was such a vulnerable thing for me to put out an invitation to have people come and then have to cook. (laughs) It was a whole other thing. Celebrating them was not a problem for me, but inviting them, seeing if they would say yes, and then feeding them was the other vulnerability. And the other thing was for them, They didn't know who else was coming. They didn't know what this was. And when they came, it was a small group gathering. And it was so delightful. And I planned on having more of those. And, you know, COVID happened. But when I was reading Pam's book, The Whitest Net, I thought about that. I go, ooh, I want to create rich connections in my own community again right just in the fact of it doesn't have to be a business development that connections because i love talking with people and learning about their stories and learning about their experiences because it gives me insight perspective and so much growth and it's fun right to connect with other people so there's many ways we can do it both personally and professionally and that's my invitation for you all right pam slim's book it's coming out the widest net and you can go ahead and pre-order it now, and it will be out in November of 2021. I'm Smelling Big for Pam and for all of you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts in television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things. But you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. She is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so idle.